You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So the plan is, over the next two Sundays, God willing, uh, is to, we're going to spend two sermons on this chapter, Exodus 34. And, and that's because uh, this chapter really is the high watermark of God's revelation in the Old Testament. Next week we're going to deal more with the Mosaic Covenant and what that means for us. But this week we're going to focus on really verses uh, 1 to 9 of chapter 34. And this is a continuation of what Pastor David Mathis showed us last week in chapter 33. And there are a few different ways that I might preface this passage, and I struggle to know exactly what to say at this point. Um, but, but here's where I've landed, and so I, I just uh, I want to say this now for the sake of honesty and invitation, okay? Here it goes. Um, our readiness as a church uh, and, and your readiness as an individual, your, your readiness now to hear chapter 34, verses 5 to 7, depends upon how you heard chapter 33, verse 18. This is one of those sermons where if you have a Bible open, it's going to help to kind of look back and forth at the verses. So if you can, look, look back at chapter 33, verse 18 for a minute, which we just heard read. Chapter 33, verse 18, Moses there begs Yahweh, please show me your glory. And Moses, of course, is saying this in the middle of a high stakes situation. He has a lot of uncertainty ahead of him. He has reasons to be frustrated and to be afraid, but he knows that what he needs more than anything in this moment is to see the glory of God. And so he, he asked for that. Moses is asking God here, God, please show me your glory. And here's, here's the thing with that. If, if what Moses is asking doesn't pique your interest, if, if it doesn't compel you to like lean in and listen up, then chapter 34 will not matter to you because chapter 34 is God's answer to Moses' question. And why would you care about the answer if you don't care about the question? Right? We understand how this works. This is pretty simple. The, the world is full of answers and so-called answers to all kinds of different questions. I mean, that's, that's really what, that's what media is. It's more information and messages and answers to all kinds of different questions. But the only answers we care about are to the questions we're asking. And of all the questions that we ask, do any of us want to see the glory of God? Would any of us echo the words of Moses here? Would we want with him and would we ask with him of God, God, please show me your glory? Because if you don't care about the question, you won't care about the answer. I'm just being honest. Okay? But also, and this is the invitation, maybe 
maybe you've not cared before about the glory of God, but this morning you, you can care about it now. You, maybe before you've not cared to see it, you can care to see it now because maybe you're here this morning and you're in a, a difficult situation and you're desperate like Moses was. Or maybe you're here and you're just sick and tired of shallow answers to shallow questions. Or maybe you're here and you have in your heart a growing desire to just know God because you realize that all of your searchings and all of your longings are really for Him. See, wherever you are this morning, like whatever place you find yourself in this morning, you, you may, you can and you may pray with Moses, God, show me your glory. And I just want to start by inviting you to pray that. Okay, I, I want to start this morning. I want to invite all of us to make this the question we're asking, okay? Because God answers it. So let's Pray that now, and we'll get started. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, our Father, our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord, this morning as we're gathered here with your word open before us, in dependence upon your spirit, we ask as humbly and as sincerely as we can, please, Show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. The passage is verses 1 to 9, and there are two parts to the passage that will serve as the outline for the sermon. First, you have verses 1 to 7, and in verses 1 to 7, there is the revelation of God, and we're going to put that right here, okay? Verses 1 to 7, the revelation of God. Then in verses nine, uh, 8 and 9, you have the response of Moses. So up here, revelation of God. Down here, the response of Moses. And we're going to start with the revelation of God, verses 1 to 7. And here's what's happening here. In, in verses 1 to 7, in the revelation of God, God is showing his glory to Moses by proclaiming his name. That's what he's doing. He's showing his glory to Moses by proclaiming his name. And we're going to slow down at verses 5 to 7. But first, I just want to remind you of the context. In chapter 33, verse 18, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, God tells him basically, okay. Verse 19, God says to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. God says that he will reveal his glory to Moses through proclamation. In chapter 33, God says he will do that. And then in chapter 34, God does it. In chapter 34, verses 1 to 4, God tells Moses to cut two new tablets of stone. Now remember, back in chapter 32, the first tablets that Moses had, he threw them down and he broke them because of the golden calf. And him doing that in chapter 32 is a symbol that the covenant has been broken. And I think it's mentioned here in verse 1 because we're supposed to, to still have the sin of the people in the back of our minds. We remember chapter 32 
as we're reading here in 34. God tells Moses to, to make two more tablets, come back up to the top of the mountain. And so Moses does this early the next morning. That's verse 4. Verse 4, Moses is by himself. He's holding these new, right now blank tablets back at the top of the mountain. And look at verse 5 here. Verse 5. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Verse 6. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh. And we can see here the connection back to chapter 33. I want you to see the connection. In chapter 34, God is doing what he said he'd do. His glory is passing by Moses by proclamation. By proclamation, which means that God is showing his glory by saying something about himself. God is saying his name. God is saying who he is, and I want to highlight this saying piece, this proclamation piece, because God could have done this however he wanted to, right? He's God. He can do whatever he wants, but yet he chose proclamation. You ever thought about that? God, God chose here to proclaim himself through words. Which means through sounds that have meaning. That's what proclamation is. And get this. Sounds that have meaning from thousands of years ago can be translated into new sounds today that have the same meaning. Yahweh, Yahweh, El Rahum Vechanun. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. God proclaimed that about himself. These are the words that came from the mouth of God to Moses about who he is. Do we understand that when we read Exodus 34, we get to hear what Moses heard. This is what God has said about himself. These are God's words about himself spoken by God to Moses. And it's not just a truth about God, but this is God himself telling us his heart God is telling us first his nature who he is and then second he tells us the actions his actions that flow from his nature look at verse 6 Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh Yahweh. This, this is literally Yahweh proclaiming his name, right? He's saying his name. This is the only time in the entire Bible that the divine name is mentioned twice like this, back to back. And I think it, it happens here to get our attention. I think it's meant for emphasis. And I also think that there's an echo here, okay? And there's a super important connection that I want to make 
I want us to see, but it's going to take some work, all right? So I need to make sure you're on board with this. I, we gotta, you gotta, I need you to track with me for a few minutes here, okay? This is kind of a dense passage, and so buckle up. Let's track with me, okay? It's going to take a minute. We'll start here. Chapter 34, chapter 34, verse 6. I'm going to say 34, 6 and 33, 19. I'm going to keep saying those phrases, so know what I'm talking about when I say it. Chapter 34, verse 6 is a developed restatement of chapter 33, verse 19. And you can see the repetition in the text. In both cases, in 33.19 and in 34.6, God repeats the proclaiming of his name. And right away, in both cases, he says that he is merciful and gracious. Now, we may have missed that in chapter 33. So go back to chapter 33, verse 19. I want to read this to you. 33.19, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So you see that, right? Gracious and mercy in 33.19 is repeated as merciful and gracious in 34.6. And in both cases, God leads with this as the explanation of his name. This is, in both cases, this is the first thing that he says after he says his name, Yahweh. And so what's going on is when we read here the words repeated in 34.6, we should think back to those same words in 33.19. 34.6 makes us think back to 33.19. Grace and mercy, mercy and grace. Here's a question. Why are they stated in a phrase in 33.19? You tracking? There's a phrase there. Why in 33.19 does God put grace and mercy in the phrase, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Why does God do that? Well, I think it's because 33.19 is an echo way back to Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. So in your minds... Back up and remember the scene when Moses encountered the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, which we looked at September of 2019, okay? So back up in your mind, remember this scene. Moses encounters the burning bush and God tells him there that he has seen the affliction, the, the affliction of Israel. He's seen the affliction of Israel, and he's about to rescue them. And so he's going to send Moses. God's going to send Moses to rescue the people. And Moses, of course, is reluctant. But do you remember what Moses says to God? Moses says, okay, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them what you've said here, they're going to want to know what? They're going to want to know something about you. Do you remember what he says? Moses says to God, you have to tell me your name. I need to tell them your name. What is your name, God? And in chapter 3, verse 14, God answers Moses, I am who I am. Which means I will be who I will be. That's how God first told Moses his name. It means that God is absolutely free. There is no other way to define him other than in terms of himself. He is the I am. 
His name is Yahweh, and he will be who he will be, and that is that in chapter 3. But see, now in chapter 33, there's a lot that's happened since the burning bush, right? A whole lot has happened since Exodus 3 here in chapter 33. And as Moses is looking out at his next assignment, he is desperate. And I mean desperate to know just a little bit more about who God is. And so hear the echo happening. Hear the echo in 3319. Back to chapter 3. God tells Moses his name again. But this time it's not I will be who I will be. But it's I will be gracious. To whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So see this is the burning bush all over again. But better. It's the burning bush again, but better, because it's not just that God is free, it's that God is free to show mercy and grace to whoever he wants, because he is in his nature merciful and gracious. God is telling us more about who he is. And in 34.6, as God explains his mercy and grace, Moses doesn't just need to take his sandals off, but he needs to be hid by God in the cleft of the rock because the glory is too much. It's too much. So God shields him. He hides him. He keeps him. You can't see my face, Moses. You can't see my face. Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious. A God merciful and gracious. And he explains, slow to anger. He is a God slow to anger. And it's fascinating to me that as God here begins to elaborate on what it means that he's merciful and gracious, he mentions anger right away. He's going straight for the problem here. Because we know by now, by chapter 34, we know that God can be angry. I mean, that's the issue in chapter 32. That's the issue in 32. After the golden calf, God's anger, his wrath burned hot against the people. 32 verse 11. And Moses was the one who had to deal with that. So Moses knows that God can be, more than anybody, Moses knows that God can be angry. And so how's this going to work? Because this is a stiff-necked people. This is a stiff-necked people, and it's only a matter of time before they offend again the holiness of God. So how is this going to play out? Is Moses' mediation between God and the people always going to be just Moses trying to hold back the anger of God? Do you get the problem there, the issue? The question is, is God just always angry, and Moses is the real difference maker? Is that how this is going to play out? The answer is no. That's not how it plays out. Because God is slow to anger. God's anger is not like human anger. Human anger tends to be unpredictable and irritable because we are perturbable creatures. Sometimes for us... Anger is a mood. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? 
Any humans in the room here? Sometimes, sometimes we're just grumpy, you know. We're just in a grumpy mood. We just, that's just, we're humans. And that's how we can be, but that's never the case with God. And if you think that, if you have thought that, now stop thinking that. God is never, never in an angry mood. Never. He's slow to anger. Which means every moment of his anger is a perfectly calculated, righteous response to sin. And he, he doesn't zap out wrath like a reflex because he has the capacity to forbear. Do we understand the patience of God? He is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. That is, he is a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And you can see how this now completes the picture if God is slow in one way, what is, as it were, natural to him? Or if, he's slow, if he's slow to anger, what abounds or, or gushes or overflows or, or emanates from him? Steadfast love and faithfulness. And we know those words. Right? Steadfast love and faithfulness. We know those words. I, 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 think, I think steadfast love is a great translation for this. But maybe my favorite way to say what this is, is that this is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen? That's the way my kids learned. Chesed. God's steadfast love. Because that's what it is. Just like the anger of God, just, just like his anger is not unpredictable and arbitrary, the same goes for his love. God means, hear this, God means to love who he loves. And he never stops. You can't stop him from loving who he means to love. Nothing can stop him from loving who he means to love. Seriously. Seriously, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can stop the love of God. He loves who he wants to love. And if, if the steadfastness of his love doesn't assure us enough, it's joined here with faithfulness. It's steadfast love and faithfulness, which means he always does what he says he will do. And that is that, that's foundational to the relationship here. Because in terms of the covenant, the only reason Yahweh is still dealing with Israel is because of what he promised to Abraham. Remember that Moses goes there in chapter 32. Moses says to God, he says, you swore to Abraham. You promised him. And God says, yes. He confirms it here. Yes, I did promise. And I keep my promises. This is who God is. He's Yahweh. Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. Can you hear that this morning? This is who God is. 
And because we know who he is, because he tells us who he is, we can know how God will act because he always acts in harmony with who he is. He always acts in harmony with his nature. And we actually see this several times in the pages of Scripture. The prophet Jonah knew all about this. Remember the prophet Jonah? He didn't want to preach in Nineveh. So what's he do? He flees Nineveh. He goes the opposite direction of Nineveh, but God brings him there anyway, dramatically. And there in Nineveh, finally, Jonah preaches as he's told, and the people repent, and God has mercy on them. But Jonah is angry about it because he hates Nineveh. And so here in Jonah 4, verse 2, Jonah tells the truth. He finally comes clean to God, and this is what he says. He says, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. This is why I didn't want to go. It's because I knew that you are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah quotes Exodus 34, verse 6. This is who God is. A God merciful and gracious. A God who always acts in harmony with his nature. And because his nature is mercy and grace, he is a God who forgives. Not in the manuscript. If, if you want to know who you hate, ask yourself who you're trying to keep God from. Jonah hated the Ninevites, and he did not want to bring the message of God's salvation to them. God is a God merciful and gracious, and because of that, forgiveness, forgiveness, pardoning iniquity, it flows from his heart, and that's where he takes us in verse 7. Verse 7 here lists four actions, two positive and two negative. And then there's a timing piece. I'm going to mention the timing piece first. In verse 7, in the first clause, notice the word for thousands or to the thousandth generation. Then in the final clause, notice to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so what this is, these are two different time frames that are meant to be juxtaposed. The first is to say a very, very long time that basically never ends. And the other is to say a specifically long time here on this earth. The idea is that these are not the same. There's a, a lopsidedness here. One is a fact because it's the heart of God. The other is a fact because it's necessary. Okay, So Yahweh keeps or Yahweh guards steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is God's heart in action. Yahweh does not clear the guilty. Yahweh does not let sin go unpunished, visiting the iniquity on as many generations as it calls for. This is God's holiness offended, which deserves his righteous response of judgment. Do not get the misimpression that God being merciful means that he's just some big anything goes teddy bear in the sky. God is just. 
He is holy and just, and therefore he judges sin. His judgment comes at times in this life, in this world. That's verse 7. And it will certainly come in the final judgment. Remember, the anger of God is a reality. And this creates some tensions in this text. It creates some tensions in how God has revealed himself. We have more questions about how this all works. But to the question, please show me your glory, God has given his answer. Please show me your glory. God answers, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the glory of God. This is the proclamation of God's name. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. So this is the revelation of God. We've seen his glory. He, he shows us who he is. Now what do we do with that? I mean like right now. <laughs> what do we do? I have, I have more to say. But I want you to feel the tension here. What do we do? How do we respond to God showing, telling us his glory? Well, I think we can learn from the response of Moses. So we have the revelation of God up here. And then here we have the response of Moses in verses 8 and 9. And Moses responds in two ways, praise and petition. We're going to actually start with the last first. Okay, so look at verse 9 first. Moses is praying here. He's petitioning God. Now, remember back in chapter 32, when Moses petitions God not to destroy Israel, he prayed to God on the basis of God's reputation. He didn't ask God to forgive Israel. He just begged God not to destroy Israel. But now look at verse 9. Look at how he prays. He says, oh Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So because Moses now knows that God is free to show mercy and grace, he has the confidence to ask for mercy and grace. Because God is merciful and gracious, that is the only way Israel stands a chance. Same goes for us. I just want to be super clear about this. Pastor David Mathis, he, he nailed this last week. I just want to say it again. The only way, the only way that we have a chance of receiving the mercy of God is because the mercy of God does not depend upon us. You hear that? The only chance we have, the only chance we have to receive mercy from God is because it does not depend upon us. That is good news for sinners. And only for sinners. If you don't know you're a sinner, this doesn't matter to you. But for those of us who know we're desperate for mercy, this is the news that we mean, that we that we need. What it means is that this morning, wherever we're coming from, if, if you're here this morning and you have done something terrible 
and you hate yourself for it, God can forgive you. He can forgive you. In fact, that God shows mercy on whom he will show mercy means that he will show mercy to you regardless of how badly you may have messed up. It doesn't depend upon you. It doesn't matter what you've done. God shows mercy because he is merciful. So we ask for his mercy. We ask for it. Because of who he is, we ask for his mercy. We turn from our sin and we pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what Moses is doing here. But then verse 8 comes first. And so look back at verse 8. And it's one little line in there. I want to end with this. Right after. You get, remember, think about the scene here. Right after Moses has seen the glory of God. After he has heard Yahweh proclaim his name. Verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. In chapter 32, Israel as a nation quickly turned away from God in sin. But here in chapter 34, Moses, the mediator, quickly turns to God in worship. Before he asks anything, before Moses makes another move, he puts his face to the ground. The text doesn't tell us anything that Moses said. Just that he worshipped. This is praise without words. Because what's, what's there to say? Moses is in awe of the glory of God. Who is a God like this? The, the, the prophet Micah will say it later. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. We have to understand, there was no category for a God who forgives. No category. Moses wants to know more about who God is. He wants to see the glory of God. He wanted to know him more. But what God said to Moses overcame him. It stopped him in his tracks. You know, when we gather here on Sundays, we gather for worship and we sing together. And it is good and biblical to sing together in worship. I'm glad we do that. But it would also be good and appropriate if we gathered together and didn't say a word, but just bowed our heads in awe of the glory of God. Like what if we just stopped for a minute? What if we just stopped and we let the truth of the mercy and grace of God just wash over us? You don't say anything. 
if before anything else, Moses would do this, how much more should we who have seen more than Moses? Church, remember that all of Moses, all that he's seeing here, this is God's back. But we have the cross of Christ. See, look, there are details in the passage. We felt the tension. There are details in the passage that Moses does not yet know. Remember the question of how does this work? How, how can God both forgive the guilty but never clear the guilty? How can God forgive sin but also punish sin? Forgive sin but also punish sin. How does that work? Well, it's called substitutionary atonement. And God actually takes us there in the book of Leviticus, which is the very next book. I think this question, this tension, I think it's beginning to to, to come up in the narrative. It's, it's beginning to, to, to arise as we read the narrative. God answers it in the book of Leviticus, the very next book. But we know that all of this, we know the story of Leviticus. All of this is pointing where? It's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was slain on the cross in the stead of sinners. Jesus dying on the cross was the most vivid display of the glory of God because there God did not proclaim his heart through words, but he demonstrated his heart through the shedding of his son's blood. How much, how deep, how deep is God merciful and gracious? How far? Bearing shame. And scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Praise Yahweh, what a Savior. If you want to see the glory of God, if you want to know the glory of God, if you want God to show you his glory, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet we ask for mercy there. We beg for mercy at the cross and we also worship him. We praise his name. We rejoice in God's heart that he has made known to us front and center in Jesus Christ. And that's why we come to the table. Each week as we come to this table, we remember together the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we together give him thanks. And in the moment as we receive the bread and the cup, It's not so much that we say anything, right? But we sit in awe of God's glory. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We receive the bread and we receive the cup. We are receiving Jesus in his mercy and grace. And if you're here this morning and you trust in Jesus, If you're united to Jesus by faith, this meal is for you. His body is the true bread. His blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.